You know, I just keep feeling bad when I feel like I don't actually have a lot to say about a given episode. I guess that's technically a good thing, you know. Maybe this way you get, you know, that you don't have to endure me rambling for an hour about something. Instead, you can have me rambling for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or something. I don't know. I don't know what you guys want. I'm just doing what I can here. But I do want to say one thing. Lanier is actually pretty awesome. This is a great example of uh, lovable awkward, and he really does a good job of it. I don't have much else to say about him. Uh, his fascination with history and, and, you know, the motorcycle and the, shall we say, cultural implication of a bike. I like that. It's a nice touch, but I don't really have much else to say about that. Um, so I was thinking about a way to put this, and I don't really have the perfect phrase or to be slightly more accurate, I had the perfect phrase, and then I lost it. And then I spent like 10 solid minutes trying to remember what it was. I've been working all day, I'm sorry. Apparently I'm an idiot today. But I figured out who Garibaldi is, or rather what he is. I, I've related him to the O'Brien-type character in the past, but in retrospect, that doesn't really fit quite right. O'Brien is so, you know, down-to-earth, simple, ordinary, you know, just a guy. You know, a guy you can relate to. Garibaldi isn't quite that. <clears throat> He's certainly, certainly leaning in that direction, especially amongst the main cast of Babylon 5. He is definitely the relatable character, but he's not an O'Brien, not really. And I kind of figured out why. He's a meat and potatoes guy. He's the guy who's there, who's hardy, who's honest, who's trustworthy. You know, he's the guy you could see being... The old archetype that doesn't really exist anymore. You remember back when a policeman was considered a, a position of honor, and, you know, you're seeing a cop, and you're like, hey, what's up, buddy? And you'd hang out and, you know, have a beer, have a cup of coffee or whatever. That kind of a guy is who Garibaldi is. He's who policemen should be if you follow. That's why I keep referring to them as that. That's why I keep calling him the detective. He even shows that in this episode, for that matter. His detective prowess. First thing he does, alright, I need to look into these two people to find out if there's any connections. And lo and behold, there were. Um, <clears throat> so I like that. I like his meat and potatoes aspect. It's a great part of his character. So another great actor in this episode is Jeffrey Combs. Unfortunately, this is his only Babylon 5 outing, but he does a great job of it. Because of course he does, because it's Jeffrey Combs. He's, uh, I, I'm a big fan of his, obviously. He hasn't actually done that much, but everything I've seen him in has been just gold. It is kind of weird to see him playing a character in a science fiction show who's not a villain, though. That, that struck me just a bit odd. But I, I know, I know, you're going to argue Enterprise with me. But seriously, it was great seeing him. Uh, he hit an interesting blend of... I, I don't want to use the word creep because it's actually wrong. He was earnest, but because of his nature and because of where and what he is... He couldn't overcome the difficulties he had with other people around him. So he always comes across as just a bit different than everyone else around him. Still a decent person. In fact, his line about how he hates the colonel and how he finds him to be a despicable human being really shows that there's a good man there. And that he's just a, a, a psycho, psychor, you know, doing his job. And I like that. But he always, Jeffrey Combs always portrays himself as if he's just a little bit off. His mannerisms, his voice, his face, you know, his body movement, everything he does is just one step out of sync with everyone else. It's a great job. It's a great job that he does that. I love that. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, free Mars is something they mention in this. I've decided to talk more about that topic later. 
But this is the first instance of free Mars in the show. I don't mind mentioning that it'll be coming up again because this is, uh, this is Babylon 5. Of course it's going to come up again. Um, but the idea here, in brief, is the fact that Mars is effectively subjugated by Earth. Now, you might find that odd, but try to remember that it's EarthGov, not HumanGov. And that is a distinction. That's all I'm going to say about that. Now, <clears throat> um, I also like how Garibaldi puts things together very, very quickly. Uh, probably, no doubt, spurned by the fact that there is violence starting as a result, as a result of the Free Mars thing. Uh, we also see in this episode, and this is like, I think, our fifth time of this, we see, once again, how... Un, how bad things are getting back home. There is a general back at home, and, and it is a general, it's not a senator this time, it is a general who refuses to back Sinclair and help him because they need to have this go forward in order to allow for political support for the president, President Santiago, and if they don't get that support, then they're going to lose trade agreements with alien races because right now there's a lot of anti-alien sentiment on Earth. Once again, we see how bad things are getting. This general is willing to basically let Sinclair and his staff hang. Not literally, of course, but, you know, it, figuratively, for the sake of politics. And I'm not even necessarily decrying that, because the general was on his side, would come back to him, and would help him afterwards. But that still means Sinclair's career and the, the and Ivanova's career and possibly Garibaldi's careers are going to be tanked. And the station's going to be under the command of a dictator who's an idiot the entire time. Excuse me, a tyrant the entire time. Speaking of which, I want to give props to the gentleman who plays the colonel. Um, he actually does a pretty good job of it, I think. He's pretty close to one-dimensional. He has a couple of other shadings. He's probably one of the more one-dimensional characters we've seen on the show thus far. But they do still have those shadings, and it was a nice touch. One of my favorite parts is the fact that he not only insisted Garibaldi help him, but he keeps praising Garibaldi for his help, despite the fact that Garibaldi can't stand him. He actually likes that, and he likes that, that, that pushback, and he likes that honest feedback. Probably because Garibaldi is enough of a professional to still do his damn job and do it well, even when he hates it. And someone like the Colonel, who is described as being efficient but inhuman, would probably enjoy that kind of a thing. So, um, I have some thoughts about the Colonel. I think I'm going to save that for last. Um, I do want to talk about one thing, though. So the last, so I'm recording all these back to back uh, for the, the little insight as I'm getting ready for the Wild Lore run. What I've been doing is I'll record, you know, go over Babylon Five episode, then a Voyager episode, then a Babylon Five, episode, just just like this, right? Pretty much as you're seeing it going live. So you know, the next thing you will see will be me in like a few hours from now doing a Voyager episode. Makes sense. Um, I mentioned that though because the last two episodes I looked at were Juggernaut and someone to uh, watch over me over in Voyager. In both of those episodes, I decried the episodes because even though they were good episodes, they had absolutely no continuity to them. No significance long-term. Well, I shouldn't say none. But th th they were like anti-continuity episodes. Dark Frontier also admittedly has some flaws with this. And that's a problem over on Voyager. And I just hate to keep bashing this point. But this episode, once again, is a continuity episode tons of episodes are referenced and mentioned in this and all led up to this most notably uh the oh shoot i can't remember the name of it. the episode with bester with with walter koenig and uh the episode with uh 
I, I'm trying to think of actually which episode best summarizes that. I suppose we'll go ahead and say the episode in which Sinclair found out that the Mimbari basically put him in command of the station. Uh, those two episodes are the most clear threads leading into this, but there's several other threads that have been leading up to this. Oh, and the, the strike thing. That's the other big one. So Sinclair was put in charge because of the Mimbari, and a lot of other people were snubbed for that. A lot of other people's careers could have moved forward and didn't because Sinclair got the job. Next point, of course, the fact that Sinclair has a lot of powerful political enemies back home. And the final point, Bester has a personal grudge against him. All of these points make this episode happen. They're literally why this episode happens. This episode would not exist if not for the continuity of those previous episodes. But the best part is this isn't even really major plot stuff. This is not overall arc of the entire series. I mean, you could argue it is, but it's not. This is not plot. This is flavor. Make sense? This is fluff. This is additive. This is setting building and character building and just good, awesome greatness. <laughs> Obvious bias. Um, but it's not primary plot related. I mention this because this episode finally gives me an exact example of something I could point to and say, there, that's what I mean in the differences in continuity, because string continuity is not this. String continuity is the plot leads to the next plot, leads to the next plot, and, and it's, it's one plot across like 10 episodes. You know, season three of Enter Enterprise is probably the best example of that. They, you know, they're do there's one plot throughout season three of Enterprise, the Zindi arc, right? In this case, continuity has led forward into a new plot but, or rather, into a new story, but it's not part of the main plot. It's not part of one of the main plots of the show. So it's a nice way to show that continuity isn't just about one episode ending and the next episode beginning immediately following those events or immediately connected to those events. Just, that's it. That's how I just wanted to say that. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, one of the other things that's interesting about this episode is we see just how deeply and why Ivanova refuses to be scanned. That struck me as a little bit odd until she finally gave that point about her mother sharing her thoughts with her. That really nailed it home for me, especially for me. Uh, I'm a big person on the idea that the intangible matters more than the tangible. That, you know, life is more important than survival, to put it in another term. Survival's fine, but insufficient. Life is what actually matters to me. Now... I mention that because life almost, at least by my definition and my experience, almost always consists of intangibles, things that don't have real, quote unquote, value. They have sentimental value. They have personal value. They have cultural value. They have historical value. But if you think about it, you know, that, that motorcycle is only really worth the, the parts it's made of in terms of practical value. But its personal value, its cultural value or whatever, to Lanier and to Garibaldi was significant. Furthermore, to use a much stronger example, and to just get to my point, Ivanova cared deeply for those memories of her mother and the memory of her mother's mind connecting with hers. And once again, we see it displayed that minds connecting is a deep, powerful, significant thing to happen. And to her, the idea of someone else violating those thoughts, violating the privacy of those thoughts, is something she can't bear. I like that. And that's the kind of thing I would get behind. I would fight tooth and nail to ensure that no one else ever gets to invade or, or, or I don't have a better word, violate her in that manner. 
it's um I, I don't know how much more I want to go into that topic because it really kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? To her, that is more important than things like her career or her duty because that is what matters so, so much more to her. Again, an intangible mattering more than a tangible. <laughs> um, yeah, moving on. Um, I don't have much else to talk about. It is interesting to me that Gray the gentleman played by Jeffrey Combs, tries so hard to get along with Ivanova. I think it's because he sympathizes with her, but more to the point, he probably has a degree of respect for her. And again, he's just kind of one step out of line with her. So every time he tries to reach out to her, he does so in a way that she can't really reach out back in, which is actually quite a bit of a shame since, in all honesty, I feel like those two characters would probably get along pretty well, not romantically or anything, but, you know, as kind of a professional buddy friendship kind of a way. Anyways, final note, politics. <laughs> the colonel, whose name I'm not going to bother to remember, was an amateur. This was an amateur political maneuver. I've actually talked about this before. The difference between a political, uh, political maneuvering that is amateurish and a political maneuvering that is properly subtle. In fact, I talked about that a bit in FF12 somewhat recently. The difference is is obvious, but the thing I find funny is even an amateur can get a lot done. The problem is an amateur is easy to counter. If I could parallel this to, oh, I don't know, anything else ever, but we'll use martial arts as the example, an amateur can still hurt someone, can still defeat someone, can still break bone or burst blood vessel or break down a door or whatever. But if you put an amateur versus someone who knows what they're doing, someone who is properly skilled, it's pretty obvious and easy to think who's going to win that contest, right? So the colonel shows up and says, I'm going to take over and I'm going to use these pretenses to do so, and then I win. And that's it. He is literally pulling a technically in order to take over, and i got to be blunt, I don't think he would have succeeded long term. I think if, for some reason, you know, in some alternate universe, Sinclair didn't come up with a way to back it and didn't push back and rolled over and took it, basically, then the colonel would have taken the station, and yes, I have at last retained this, and then Sinclair would have gone home to the general a few months from now when things are settled, and the general would have backed him to get right the back hell in charge of uh, Babylon 5. And that's just the political side of things, by the way. That's completely ignoring the Mimbari, who I guarantee you would have had a word or two about the fact that their chosen member of Babylon 5 has been removed from it. Given how severe the Membari react to intangible things, I'm pretty sure the Membari might have either said, put him back in charge, you know, and that, that's it, that's what's happening, or we're flat out pulling out of everything. No more relations with Earth, no more Babylon 5 support, we're gone. There is no way he would have ever succeeded long term, which is kind of my point about the amateur thing. He could have still done a lot of damage, and Lord knows that's not really much comfort to Sinclair or Ivanova or Garibaldi or God knows the people who would have to live under that idiot for however long it took to fix the situation. But he is still an idiot in his maneuverings. He is so obvious and blatant. 
he makes sure that there's a specific law that is written by uh, Sycor that allows him to maneuver, walks in and says, yes, I'm here, doesn't even bother to read the law properly enough to understand its usage. Sinclair then uses that law against him, lawful good, and does so in a way that completely subverts his intentions until he finally gets up the urge to push back in the stupidest way possible by citing regulations and technicalities in order to try and obtain power. And this whole time he has this big thing about how, oh, I'm, I'm totally going to succeed. Why? Because Sinclair has enemies. That's it. I, I don't even know how to properly explain how stupid and, and pathetic and obvious this political maneuvering is. But I think that's the point. I think the point was to show the consequence of what happened previously, but is also the very first consequence of what happened previously. Of the strike situation... Uh, what was the name of that episode? No. Of the strike situation, of the Psycor situation, and of the uh, the Mimbari situation to show how this is the first thing that Sinclair has to deal with. And of course the first thing that he has to deal with is the one that is the least conceived. It happened first, so they had the least amount of time to, to, to think about it. And the guy obviously is an idiot, and so he's the one who thinks he can just make this happen now without actually properly thinking it out or doing proper political maneuvering. The colonel was always going to lose, but I think the point here is that he is the first attack, not the last. That's all I got for now. No, uh, no Deutsch box, no um, controversy box, no, uh, no spoiler section. So I will be seeing you guys in a day or in an hour from my time. But either way, I'll see you next week too. See you around, guys.